Welcome to the WebWell podcast, brought to you by Cascade Web Development. All right, welcome back, listeners. This is Simon at the WebWell podcast, joined with Ben McKinley and special guest, the world-renowned, and I say it that way because I've heard a lot about you, Ryan, uh, Ryan Buchanan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Excellent. Well, Ryan, it's uh, pretty fun to to be on the other side of the mic here. I know you'd, uh, during your podcast days with Cause and Effect, I really enjoyed sitting on that podcast. And this will be a really fun one. Uh, Ryan and I have developed quite the the relationship over the last, I think, about 13 years. Um, Ryan was kind enough to come share his story of, of trying to spin a product company out of a service company uh, to both myself and and my co-founder of Brown Live, Fritz. And, uh, and then shortly thereafter, he joined us on our 10th anniversary company float down the Lower Rogue River and provided just tremendous entertainment for, for most everybody involved. Uh, some are I was still the recovering. court jester for sure. Uh, and I think Paul, one of your employees, is still upset with me for waking him up with a wig on his head at like 6.30 in the morning um, that he was just really salty with me over. But uh, Paul, please forgive me, please. You might be onto something there. Yeah, and then following that trip, we found ourselves in the mountains doing lots of fun backcountry ski trips and and lots of other ways to just stay connect, connected as as friends and with our families and 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 also through business uh, as well. So really excited to continue peeling back some of the layers on Ryan as a person, as well as his successes through business and and civic engagement. Um, so to jump right into it, Ryan, I would say you are clearly a man of Oregon, but not a man from Oregon. Uh, can you share a little bit about your journey from uh, Maryland to Oregon? And feel free to start, you know, start kind of back in the the uh, formative years. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I grew up uh, in the suburbs of DC in Maryland, and um, I formed a, a huge love of the outdoors. Uh, ironically, going doing backpacking in Tanzania on a uh, epic family trip we did for five weeks in Africa when I was 15 brought me indirectly to Oregon um, during uh, during summers in, in college. So I uh, went to University of Virginia um, and, uh, and just knew that um, I wanted to kind of experience the grandeur of the Northwest. Um, so I uh, landed my first uh, real job as a night janitor at Glacier National Park. Uh, and so that allowed me to do like eight different um, multi-night uh, backpacking trips all over the park. I um, I talked to myself quite a bit on the drive in my wood paneled station wagon out uh, to Montana. And then I just like, I, I knew the Northwest was the place for me. So then came back the next summer with um buddy of mine who you know eric gabrielson um and his mom's from southern oregon from medford ben i know you are too um and uh and she so they had been vacationing at blackbeat ranch for as long as eric could remember and so we got a job there checking people into the ranch and then i got fired from that job it's the only job i've been fired from um, because i went to uh sister's rodeo biggest little show on earth and didn't i guess 
get it like fully approved through my boss. So then I get a 50 cent raise as the uh, dishwasher at the lodge there. Um, so that was, that was pretty epic. And I, you know, I was hooked on Oregon and that was uh, summer of 94. And so we're looking at almost 30 years later. Um, and so Eric and then another buddy, Rich Young and I um, packed up the, the U-Haul that um, Intel paid for and a reload package that I, I got a job at Intel right after college as a finance guy. And um, yeah, the three of us moved out and um, took over Portland. We, we went, you know, we, we were used to going to bars um, in Charlottesville, Virginia and, and knowing a lot of people in college. And then we would go out and not know a soul. And so we're like, this is different. <laughs> and then fortunately we met some great people and uh, I can keep telling the story, but, um, but yeah. And then Ben, yeah, you and I, I saw somewhere on the notes there that we were frenemies. I was like, when have we ever been, the enemy part of frenemies. I wouldn't Explain say enemy. That. I know that we were a, a small gnat uh, relative to the the growth of Eroy and those days where you attracted a lot of attention from the local media and whatnot. And um, and so I would just say more in the spirit of cooperation um, that that I looked up to you and and was like, man, the guy's got got some stuff figured out and, and some really exciting momentum behind him. And, you know, we, I know we, we competed on a, a project or two together and those are probably, you know, again, meaningful to me in terms of like, we're going to win and we're going to, you know, succeed. And I quickly realized that, uh, life with Ryan versus using, you know, Ryan, viewing Ryan as anything in the form of competition was a way better way to, to go about it. So just a well, good reminder. Yeah. That, you and uh, I are both, I'm very competitive, but I always, yeah, always saw you as a partner on the the professional front and the personal front, like you're such a better skier than me. I don't even try to compete. So, um, but yes. Okay. Uh, now I see where you're coming from. It's funny. You mentioned like getting attention. I think of myself as a pretty laid back guy, but my youngest daughter who's now 18, she um, has in her phone, whenever I call her, it's dad, the attention seeker, <laughs> which is just like, Oh, such a gut punch. But I guess uh, there's some truth in what your kids tell you. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you, you that's a great segue. So uh, as you mentioned, the ski thing, I've spent uh, probably more time than is productive uh, pursuing my love of skiing. And and uh, you're quite the, the capable skier yourself. But ball sports, that's an area where uh, mm -hmm. I certainly cannot hang. Uh, talk to us too about, you know, obviously you love the outdoors and getting out there and pushing yourself and, and finding your potential. Um, but also I know that a lot of that was cultivated in ball sports in the early days and and now manifesting in, uh, in pickleball. Share a little bit about that. Well, one, I don't think anyone really thinks of ball sports as ball sports. It's like for a male, that's just a weird term. What's your run with that? Yeah. What's your run with that? <laughs> Yeah, I still play hoops every um, every Tuesday night and love that because, um, you know, at the office, it's not like you can really like take someone out, boxing them out at the printer or anything. So it's it's nice to have a little contact. Um, and yeah, pickleball, it's sad when you get into your late 40s and that becomes like your 
you know, competitive outlet to get super hardcore about pickleball, but that's what, um, it's what I do from time to time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I did tennis, ping pong, um, soccer, whatever is available. I, I'm kind of a, I'm pretty good at a bunch of sports, but not like, yeah, I don't have a specialty like you do, Ben. So, but I like it all. Excellent. Well, you're pretty good at whipping me and ping pong and uh, pickleball if it makes you feel any better. So <laughs> always fun to get out there with you and whack the ball around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Gosh, let's yeah. just keep talking about balls. Yeah. And ball sports. <laughs> <laughs> we got all day. All right. We'll, we'll change the subject. How about this? We'll, we'll go to like the professional mm-hmm. side then. Um, so Ryan, yeah. um, talk to us, talk to us about running successful agencies. So thesis, um, a lot of your civic efforts, uh, including the script, uh, maybe you can talk a little more about that journey and becoming an entrepreneur and even more recently about a social, so sorry, social entrepreneur. Uh, maybe you can speak to that a little bit too. Uh, there's, there's, that's a huge, um, gamut of experiences. Um, yeah, so I, I'll just go back to at Intel for four years, finance guy, the whole dot-com revolution was happening in 99, 2000. I had a bunch of friends leave to go to Bay Area or um, or start their own uh, dot-coms. And so I jumped on the bandwagon and started a company that was... Um, it's called GC Materials, short for General Contractor Materials. So my great-grandfather, grandfather, and dad were all in the construction kind of real estate uh, world. Um, and so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try and bring this paper approval process uh, online. Um, it's called submittal. So long story short, um, gave it a go, uh, and it didn't work out great. Um, in the process, I met a bunch of other entrepreneurs. We started this um, entrepreneur group called Starve Ups, not Starbucks, but Starve Ups. We were all starving startups. And um, so I met a bunch of entrepreneurs through that in 2000. And that led to me uh, becoming friends with a couple um couple guys, Leap and Lars, who started this company called Cooler Email, which is an email marketing software company way back in the day before um, before there was good design and all those things. And so it was basically like a, a much, uh, like a poorly designed version of MailChimp, um, but it had great functionality. And it was kind of like there was a magic to marketers being able to see real time how their email campaign was performing. So started a out of the ashes of this kind of failed GC materials um, company, I started reselling um, cooler email. And then we uh, another entrepreneur friend in Portland here, a guy named Kent Lewis, he and I started email ROI. um, And he was with me for the first year and we were able to um, through lots of networking at different professional association events and all that, we were able to land a, a whole bunch of small to mid-sized companies as our as our clients to get them up and going with a branded email template and then get them kind of hooked on the software. And then that led to 
microsites and then the advent of facebook kind of led to um kind of more social media type of stuff so um it was a progression that i've always had a kind of a growth mentality um sometimes to my own detriment um because we grew really fast we were in 500 fastest growing company and um bottom line we you know we were profitable but not really um, wildly profitable, and then tried to turn um, email ROI. We changed the name a year later to EROI because we were doing more than email. We were doing web and all that. And then we tried to turn EROI, EROI, into a software company in 2008, and over a three-year period proceeded to invest slash lose over a million and a half. Uh, then recession hit the software never really you know way too much competition not enough differentiation um had to pull the plug on it lost all that money bank had a gun to my head tasted iron in the back of my throat almost had a heart attack anxiety attacks and almost went bankrupt and lost uh most of my employees through that process because our culture went to shit and then um we kind of got back to a steady state of like um, getting back to be like owning that we were a digital agency and being more transparent that we were licensing the software instead of it being our software. And yeah. And then just for five years, steadily dug out of that hole, renegotiated um, the paying off my line of credit to the bank so that I had, um, 15 months instead of like, you know, a few weeks. And over that five-year period paid off my debts. And then we um, landed Nike as a, our, well, we landed Aramark um, first in 2012 as like an ongoing lots of email and digital campaigns type of um, ongoing strategic relationship that, and we still work with them. What is this? Twelve years later, wow. and so we shifted the business model from kind of a one and done um, project base, which is really, really hard to um, sustain a business on in the professional services world, to landing larger, uh, in this case, consumer brands, where we had hundreds if not thousands of campaigns that we were doing on an, an extension of that brand fully uh, immersed and sometimes on campus um, with uh, email addresses from our clients and all that stuff to drive all these campaigns, drive digital revenue, but do it in an elevated brand kind of way instead of like um, kind of discounting or anything like that that would... Um, you know, by now, you know, that's not what we did. We did more of the elevated uh, experience. And it's so we went from 41 employees down to like 10. And then um, over a 10 year, um, the past 10 years, we're now at 312 employees. And um, it's been a been a wild journey of just like, I feel like the entrepreneurial journey is like looking at an EKG chart where it's just like within a day it's just spikes high and low and then it it does that even more if you look at it a week and a and a month and all that so like it's been a been a really good run 
not to say that we haven't had really challenging times in the past 10 years, but, but it's been a good one for sure. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So, um, as you've gone down that path, I think some of your social entrepreneurship, um, using that term broadly, um, but that's been a really inspiring aspect of your work as well. Um, did you, did, was that always kind of a, an undercurrent of, of your efforts or when did you feel, when did you feel like you had the capacity and the, the energy to, to really lean in and, and bring to life some of those, those efforts that, uh, that now are helping so many people? Yeah, thanks. Um, I would say that i am been super aware of this kind of virtuous cycle of being plugged into the community that's helped my business and then give back to the, you know, whether it's nonprofits or professional association boards or anything like that, like been on the friends of the children board for over 16 years. So from a board perspective, I got involved in a bunch of boards in my late twenties, early thirties. And that continued on what I've done more recently in the last eight years is kind of start, um, start nonprofits from scratch. Um, or at least, uh, community, uh, projects from, from nothing. And that I really enjoy that because then I can shape it to whatever I want it to be. And it doesn't feel as passive as going to a quarterly board meeting and adding a little value and then basically not doing much for the next three months. Right. Um, so yeah, the, I didn't get a chance to um, answer Simon's question before on this, on like the origin story for, um, for the script. Um, so that happened um, in December of 2015. I, that was more of like a, a calling, like a, almost like a voice coming to me. So I was at a, a, a significant um, business owner event that there's 90 business owners in the room and a lot of them are my friends because that's kind of how I built the business and um, just like you, Ben, and just do a ton of networking and um, super obvious in retrospect, but I just, it was really clear to me like an hour into that event, like, oh my gosh, of the 90 of us, 85 of us are white men. And if I look at my own company, it's pretty, you know, we're 60% women, but at the time we were like 10, 12% folks of color. And so it's pretty homogenous. Um, the industry's homogenous, you know, can make a lot of excuses of like, Oh, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. But the fact is, is um, it just wasn't, I realized in that moment that I was a big part of the problem. I wasn't influencing the event that I was at and I definitely wasn't doing things intentional in my own company. And I do, I strongly believe that the onus of responsibility is on those of us in power to then initiate relationships in communities of color, things like that, instead of always assuming that everyone else has to adapt to us. Mm. And I definitely wasn't doing that. And so I talked to a um, couple friends right after that, but one of my buddies, Ben Sand, who had been doing that work with college scholarships with students of color for the past 10 years prior to that. And then um, a few months down the road, I was also talking with a woman 
entrepreneur friend of mine, very close friend, Sue Embry, and um, the three of us together um, co-founded this initiative called The Script, used to be called Emerging Leaders Internships. And we thought I, I, within a few days of that experience uh, at the business uh, owner event, I wrote a blog post, Portland Business Community, Too White, Too Male, and the call to action from that was to have CEOs sign up to participate in this internship program. Uh, The first year we um, placed about 35 um, super talented uh, interns, um, some of whom were college, um, recent college grads. Most of those uh, folks got full-time jobs. And over the past eight years, we've placed about 600 college students of color as internships and over 60% who are um, in their fourth year or recent college grads get full-time positions. Um, And so we really want to see this vision that the executive suites of um, organizations across Portland and ultimately throughout the country will be more reflective of the population that lives here. And so to do that, we're now expanding the scope of the script beyond internships where i'm investing significant dollars to um, build software to do the matching and vetting between the skill sets that junior and mid-level um full-time employees like uh um have to the job descriptions that are out there from companies so moving past internships and into jobs and then ultimate and we also have a mentor component for folks like you and me to um, mentor small groups that gather um, uh, every month um, both in person and virtually and talk about not only career development but life skills buying your first house all of those things um, to ultimately um, usher folks uh, past um, certain open certain doors things like that uh to get towards a a progression towards leadership in organization so that's been super rewarding i've had some really close friendships come through that and then um yeah then there's other kind of recent community things that i've gotten involved with like uh starting up this thing called we believe in portland super simple to clean up some trash in portland and get 600 professionals together to do that and then go go out to lunch after we're going to start doing that twice a year and then we'll have like a tree planting event um once a year so um those are just i mean it's just kind of fun things that leverage my uh joy around connecting people and and being around other humans especially post-covid it's really a reminder that like we're meant to be together and not just uh, isolated in our homes. Yeah, well, you've got some some famous uh, social energy out there, and it's been really fun to see how you put that to work. And I know our team from Cascade that was able to support the, um, the yeah, Portland awesome. cleanup was was really really fun for all of us to enjoy and all that that collective energy. Cool. Yeah, right. yeah. It was it was really yeah. There's 130 companies participated, and it was just yeah. It was really fun to have you guys um, be there. Was, yeah, like I said, joyful. Right, and it's really cool hearing that side of the other side of it because there's always the entrepreneurial side about like hustling, building a business, making the money, 
right? That's kind of the, the external perception of it, but also like you're saying, putting in energy into these other aspects that just bring joy to you, starting nonprofits, right? Um, I think that's really cool and not to stroke your ego, uh, admirable for anyone that's working their way up to also look at it that way as, hey, I'm going to build my thing, but also I'm going to give back. I think that's really cool. Um, tell us about uh, thesis. Uh, in our notes, we had this and then I went and Googled, looked at photos and stuff. Uh, new headquarters. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I think um, I think what's newsworthy about that is most real estate developers think I'm kind of insane and frankly pretty stupid for uh, building a really really high end um, mass timber beautiful building when everyone is um, fleeing office space for sure in Portland. And the logic behind that sentiment is valid. It's really valid because it is kind of a shot in the dark to do it. The The thing that makes it pan out pretty well is that we are occupying 100% of this 40,000 square foot building on the edge of Slabtown. The location is quite ideal because it is really close to to um, downtown and it's very um, like the urban core, but it is in this location that is close to Forest Park. It's like in a, uh, right on the edge of like a really established 120 year old neighborhood. And then all this new restaurants and construction and everything happening in Slabtown. So I think from a location standpoint, it really, um, it's this, it's very, uh, it's been incredibly successful. I was, I had a lot of anxiety that our, we have younger employees who um, have voiced their opinions very strongly that um, they don't want to be told to come back to the, the, told what to do on any front honestly, um, but to come back to the office and things like that. And so I really worried, like we'd build this beautiful building and then no one would show up. And fortunately, um, that hasn't been the case we've had. We had our first all company in-person, well, hybrid staff, but um, 70 folks were were showed up um, for that meeting and, and worked in the office and we're just, we've only been open for a couple of weeks. So this is all like really new. We have about, of our 310 employees, I'd say about 220, um, 225 are in Portland. And a lot of, um, there's a chunk of those who are on Nike campus um, three to four days a week. And so at some point, like I think being like maxing out our folks um, are, who are available to come into the office is probably around 120 or so, 130. Um, but we, yeah, we have enough room to grow for a, a long time in this space. And then if we, you know, if we triple in size or what have you in the next seven to 10 years, then we have the ability on the property that we bought to build, um, you know, build another building a similar size um there so that's that's like like i said that's 10 years out right now i just need to like conserve some cash because that <laughs> consumed a lot 
Um, but it, uh, it's, it's very calming and beautiful and peaceful to work out of a building that has a lot of warmth to it. It feels like an extension of Forest Park. It's really like all this wood and floor to ceiling glass and like tons of natural light. And, um, and there's just all kinds of amenities like gym and we have our own barista for the first time ever. Uh, and Ruby's incredible. So if you ever want a fancy latte, like dirty chai, like anything you can think of, throw in some nutmeg and some whatever. We got you. So come nice. on over. Well, I'm excited to check that new building out, Ryan. It looks beautiful. And I'm really excited to hear that the response has been as positive as it has from your uh, your staff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Because that would have been so painful if not. Indeed. Indeed. I got to get on your calendar for a tour. I know you've been generous in offering, but getting schedules to yeah. align here will make it happen sooner than later. Well, yeah. switching switching gears a little bit. I know you and I both are, are um, actually all three of us are, are certainly folks that appreciate not only, you know, working hard and committing to the craft, the job, our profession, but also, you know, refilling our cup and the great outdoors and, and finding that, that connection with the natural world. Uh, can you share with the audience how you balance those professional pursuits with also, you know, protecting that time to get outdoors with, uh, with close friends and family? Yeah. I mean, I think you know, alt like the super detailed logistics is like calendar management um, and having a really supportive wife who she also does, you know, girlfriend trips and things like that in the outdoors. And then as a family, we also love to, you know, go on hikes. We spend a lot of time in central Oregon, got a place there at black butte um it's kind of our suit like restorative place that we would love to bring portland friends there um yeah just frolic in the outdoors all that um but i would say that a highlight is doing some of our uh, super remote wallawas backcountry ski camping trips where we get to poop in a bag and then pack that out so that's a highlight definitely that's a highlight just definitely didn't want to forget about that so the audience can visualize that rich amenities rich amenities i'll insert photo there (laughs) yeah Well, what else do you want to know? What else do you want to know? I've definitely appreciated you making that time because I see a lot of folks that you know can get sucked into you know some of the the capitalist um, dreams and and pursuits and and you know give up on on getting outdoor and outdoors and reconnect. And I, I know that's definitely been a a connection point for the two of us. You got to fill your cup back up. Um, otherwise, what's the point of working your ass off if you can't enjoy it? But indeed, indeed. Ryan, I, I think I, as an employee of someone like you, Ben, um, I think I, I benefit from that. So we, we employees, I think, appreciate you guys filling up your cups that way. Um, I didn't need to know about the bag thing, but um, how would you say just <laughs> now, from, you know, yeah, from from all the way to the beginning uh, to now, how has your your leadership uh, style or approach changed or evolved throughout the years? Especially demanding like the the shift between the demands of nonprofit to profit, like balancing those two across both fronts. Um, I've had a significant career transition to be the 
I'm still a doer, um, but I feel like I am like a, I'm super active, but like mentally with doing all this mentoring of other executives and employees and, and other entrepreneurs, I'm like an old man uh, as far as like, oh, here, you know, and I try and mentor in a way where I share my own experiences instead of give advice. Um, but that has been a transition on my management style to be less of a um, hard driver and more, how do I ask this question to influence the result instead of just like drive the result myself? Um, and that's a that's really patience is not something that comes easily to me at all. Um, so, so yeah, I've had to work on uh, work on that. But I really enjoyed. Um, I, I you know I really love love being around other entrepreneurs a ton. And so Ben and I are in a couple different entrepreneur groups um, together, and and it's just. Uh, yeah, we were just a different breed of risk takers that um, gets bored in conversations that don't involve some level of risk taking. Indeed. I don't know if yeah. I answered your question at all. I don't have like a management philosophy or anything like that. I just I think the most relevant thing is is the whole transition to to being more of a mentor. Well, even what I heard when you said asking the question that influences the outcome versus driving the outcome, uh, I think that is that's um, that's team building that builds trust in anyone under you. They're they're being analytical about the whole process and feeling supported versus just tell me what you want me to do because I'm just going to do it. You want me to do it that way, anyways. You know, um, can you think right, back? Right. Uh, can you think back even through the years or even now, are there particular individuals who have greatly influenced or inspired kind of your life philosophy? Well, so both my parents are entrepreneurs, super close to both of them. Um, uh, my mom is so engaging, so entertaining, an incredible conversationalist and, um, yeah, just so many good things there. My dad is a little bit more serious. Um, he loves to give advice, uh, even when it's not asked for. Uh, but uh, really, he was best man at my wedding, really close to him. He is also really strategic and does. He loves to make an easy conversation hard as far as like giving the hard advice that, you know, do the hard thing. That's usually the right thing. Um, so yeah, I, I would say my folks are absolutely mentors, uh, in, you know, in professionally and in life. So I'm really lucky that way. I kind of lost the rest of your question because I was just like having all these visions of, of experiences in the past with my folks and, uh, smiling about it. But anyway, what was, did I miss something in there? No, I think I think you answered it even better than I thought too. I think uh, just seeing you glow about that influence uh, in relationship with your parents, as you're talking about, like your mom. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's perfect. Uh, one story that Ryan has shared with me uh, multiple times from his mom that I think highlights that is uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. 
<laughs> so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah really fun. Yeah. Well, hey, so maybe you've touched on some of this stuff, but is there anything specific that um, you could offer young entrepreneurs or the term I like to use, entrepreneurs that um, are interested in that journey? Um, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know if that includes blending, you know, digital marketing with, you know, outdoors or social entrepreneurship, but just in general, you know, if someone's coming to you and seeking advice, is there something that you sort of land on that you hope that that has resonated with, with young folks? There's kind of two components because I, I look myself at evaluating what I still have energy left to be involved in some way either as chairman of a for-profit startup um, or something like that where the two pieces are the people side and then the business model side so on the i would encourage budding entrepreneurs to look really hard at the how long is it going to take to get to revenue and is does your business model have enough margin in it to um you know if you're only going to eke out a couple percent in profit you, you know let's say let's use restaurant for example then you're going to be working six and a half days a week for the rest of your life to make minimum wage um i'm exaggerating but it's there's certain business models that lend its lend themselves to better to be able to pay your staff more, give you freedom, all that stuff. Software, obviously, the margins are huge, and um, but the drawback is that uh, competition is um, readily available all the time, and it's really really hard to scale um, software as well. So. There's always drawbacks to stuff, but yeah. So the business model has to be there and it has to be something obviously that you love so much that you're willing to put in the hundred hours a week when you first get going and then it gets down to 60 and eventually down to 40 to 50. But um, then the people side, you know, I've always found that it really helps to have the chemistry with someone who complements your skills and someone that you, you know, get along with really well. So with me, my business partner is a woman named Keely, um, who owns a significant part of thesis now. And um, she's a lot better than me at the operations at um, looking at um, being skeptical of uh, certain situations and what people's motivations are and stuff like that. And I'm like annoyingly optimistic and always think everyone's going to think like me of just like, Hey, let's, this is great. And you know, we're going to do this and and I'm just going to be really transparent with whatever I say is exactly what I mean and what I'm going to do versus uh, a lot of other people kind of um hold their cards really close to their chest, say one thing, but like stay pretty guarded. Um, so anyway, that chemistry has been really, really success successful. And I think a big part of why thesis has grown so much in the past five to 10 years. Um, and so that chemistry, so like, I'm not saying you have to have a co-founder, but it can be really helpful um, to have someone who's in it with you sweat equity and that that chemistry is there 
to do a lot of the hard things to get to create something from nothing and and build a you know a growing and profitable business but i i don't i'm not a huge fan of starting something that you know is right out of the gates got to rely on venture capital and and there's no other way around it because that's just that's just not that fun to to just know right out of the beginning that you have to rely on on vc money yeah it's such a different journey right i mean i think we've both been humbled by by doing more of the professional services startup where you you know, you kind of grow as, as the revenue comes in and try and live beneath those means and also trying the product startup where you, you try and spin something out. You spend all your time talking to funding sources. It's not nearly as enjoyable in my experience either, but, uh, those are some great thoughts and I can totally resonate, you know, uh, thinking about Stefan and, and our working relationship dating back to 2001 and how I don't know how to build websites like that compliment. You're talking about a compliment in skills as well as personality. And I'd say pretty similar with Stefan, mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, it feels like a true partnership at that way. Cause there's this reliance on each other that you truly certainly with Stefan, I can't do what he can do and vice versa. And boy, when that, when that, uh, compliment is found, it's, it's a really beautiful thing and can, can generate some really exciting results. Yeah. Thanks for those insights. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, as we, as we look to the future, you know, obviously you've got vast experience in digital marketing. What are some of your predictions for, you know, upcoming innovations and and how do you see emerging technologies shaping the future of marketing? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big one, but I'm I'm guessing you've had some time to to mull some of that stuff over as you're as you're looking into the future. Yeah, I mean, um I think AI from both the tools that employees at agencies use uh, to um, whether it's image and copywriting, you know, research and like um, expanding the possibilities of, of choices of, you know, um, what campaigns can look like and automating um, some of that. Uh, those are obvious things. There's a big difference um, for agencies on from a legal standpoint or expectations with really big brands like the Nikes, Taco Bell, Spotify's of the world that there's so much gray area with images, for example, that it's really using AI tools to leverage their existing creative assets and work within that versus with small to medium sized brands. I think there's maybe more tolerance to um to you know have ai do image creation and things like that for you and be okay with that um and then there is yeah so i think in digital marketing the obvious um like business spin-offs and and innovation type of things are in the software space so how is software that you can tweak kind of like you did with brand live um how can it make um make client like are there some some tools that you use initially within your company but then you could spin off and have clients log in and and be empowered to get some of the reporting or or some of the benefit themselves in a self-service way so uh i don't have like specific um you know, ex- examples of other than like uh, creating, automating 
some repetitive tasks ar- around you know email social media other kind of creative asset campaign creation i think is like mm-hmm. the the early steps but i think ai is definitely going to be it's it's uh, going to be integrated re- like 2024 i think every agency to survive you have to integrate some significant elements of how you do your work um because clients are gonna demand more for for less so that's yeah. that's where my head is for sure yeah there's some good stuff there one of the the things you pointed out of course i figured we wouldn't get through this without ai working its way into the conversation one way or another but as you talk about ai with these larger um, brands i'm curious um What's the nature of, of the, the, the constraints that they're putting on agencies? And is it, is it they're trying to preserve jobs for, for creatives and, and whatnot? Or, or talk to us a little bit about that. No, I just think they have way more to lose if, uh, if you have AI, like create an image, for example, that doesn't have, um, that's in this gray zone of copyright. Mm. Um, and you can... Yeah, I mean, there the audience that this is going to is you know tens of millions of people, and the damages are based on how many people are viewing said image. Um, so that's why they're just a lot more locked down. And so, looking at doing private instances of um, that are you know highly encrypted and all that stuff with their own creative assets uh there then there's no liability in in that sort of thing so okay um that's what i was referring to interesting yeah because I, I just heard in that whole um uh, writers guild um you know strike that there was uh, ai was a major consideration in the interest of protecting jobs within the industry such that as an example they wouldn't take uh you know a video footage of you know a person and then just repurpose that over and over again that i think is falls into that copyright and liability zone but then also the the idea of hey you know why would we allow ai to do this job when we're trying to support writers and creatives that can actually generate this context so, content so more of a job um, protection kind of a measure. So it's really interesting to see how this is unfolding and the, the interests out there that are working hard to protect a variety of different, you know, different components of the think, delivery of this yeah, stuff. I mean, brands want to be as profitable as possible straight up. So yep, if yep. I don't think they're not that they don't give a shit about job protection, but it's all about like, how do we use these tools to optimize a creative and um and the process to uh to make this to each campaign as tailored to and motivating to ben mckinley and ryan buchanan and simon like like how do we get it to where it's so crafted where there's 45 million permutations that feel like it's like teed up exactly for me across every channel. Um, and AI helps you do that in a way that is, you know, that is way different than before AI. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And like you said, everyone wants to be as profitable as possible, certainly agencies. And I even saw that bleed over into the media landscape last week when Sports Illustrated was put on blast for, you know, having confirmation that AI was used to generate a lot of content for, for their outlets. And it wasn't correct in a lot of cases. And it, it was like degradation of quality and them feeling like, hey, again, what about all those writers out there that are capable? Aren't you making enough? So it's sort of this multi-prong evaluation and, and uh, certainly the consumers looking at that and, and weighing in. And obviously if that was I, a local newsletter, it's different than Sports Illustrated. I got to give um, the audience some hope in this that young people, my daughters, they are pushing back against their parents who are trying to be cool, where they wrote the Christmas card for us, of course, mocking uh, my wife and I, and we put it through ChatGPT, and I thought it was, it was funnier. It was definitely funnier, but they were just like, we will not let robots take over for us. And so I just want people to know that you can't just generalize that oh young people they're going to do all their college essays you know um putting it through chat gpt and having it do all the work like they're they're standing up for themselves and saying humans over robots so i want to make sure that's a key takeaway from this this podcast that's great well i think they scored pretty high on humor on their uh, christmas letter from my perspective <laughs> so bravo girls bravo Good. yeah yeah i'll tell them i think there's I think there's a lot of irony in that too, uh, is that a lot of people are using AI to detect AI, right? So it's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there too. Um, I think you're right though. I think there is a generation that's coming up, just like food, they're going to want organic words, you know? They they want to know that it's not been touched too. So, um, so looking trade at- trade mark that, Simon? I, I need Analogy, to put that in right now. Like, I, yeah. You, yeah, should. you may, need to make sure the AI doesn't corrupt your uh, intellectual property with that analogy. That was a good one. It's it's too late. I mean, there's a transcript on this right now, and it's it already has it. So, oh well. Um, so, looking to 2024, Ryan, um, what are what are like two major goals? Actually, we'll say one one major goal for thesis and one for personal. Uh, are you climbing a mountain? Are you building a new building? Like those would be huge. What do you got on the on the calendar? Thesis, I just, I think it's, you know, kind of making sure that culture and the building being a big part of that, like being together in person and having our building be fully activated by community events throughout the year is, is a, is a, would be an awesome goal. And then the kind of endurance fun challenge that I'm doing with Ben in, uh, I think mid-September is the goal, is uh, this whole new sport. I'd never heard until last year or this, well, past nine months of fast packing. So it's like ultralight backpacking where you kind of jog, shuffle um, on the flats and downs and then um, hike, speed hike uphill. But we're going to do go from his place in Gubby, government camp, to my place at Blackbeat Ranch, 100 miles on the 
PCT. So that'll be super fun. And the goal would be over the course of four and a half, five years to do all 450 miles of, um, with five different trips that are like three or four days long each, um, of the PCT in Oregon. In Oregon. Yeah. 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 That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Nice balance of fun and, uh, and challenging for sure. Uh, we did, I will say this last, this last, uh, August, I guess it was, we did a section from Timberline Lodge north to Bridge of the Gods. And so that was a, a really interesting, uh, and I enjoyed the heck out of it, but but quite a mission to kind of work out the kinks and identify what the heck is this thing and, and what are all the ways in which it can maybe not go the way we planned. So that was a good test case, and it'll be fun to see that play out in the years ahead as we keep trying to challenge ourselves in wise ways. Yeah. We didn't start this podcast with like a, a moment of mourning for the lack of snow that we've had. I'm sure Ben has um, been very sad. You doing okay? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm trying to accept that, you know, this is uh, part of the normal oscillation of things. And we we're coming off such an epic winter last year in our area and really a run of about three winters. And if I think back to about 2000. 16 through 2018 maybe there was a, a decent stretch there where we were in the same spot uh, and through my coaching you know a lot of this is triggered by tomorrow is our first day with with all of our athletes and we don't have much snow and then we have a four-day holiday camp and if we were to miss that that would be pretty damaging for the the run mm -hmm. of the season but also accepting like i can't control that you know that's way outside mm -hmm. of my my scope of control mm -hmm. so um that said uh the team is getting pretty creative and thinking about going to northern latitudes and, and finding where that snow is sticking and falling as, as snow as compared to rain. But yeah, suboptimal for sure. Mm -hmm. I just heard a new term um, right in the corner of Idaho is has the most snow in the U.S. right now. Is that right? Yeah. Idaho. Yeah. That's a sweet zone. Another, again, you know, a little bit higher latitude and, and higher general elevations out there. And yeah, I've been seeing the the Insta spray on, on, uh, Grand Targhee and, and Jackson in that area. And it's, uh, it's enviable. So who knows, might have to chew up some, some frequent flyer miles this winter to, to get the fix. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me on. I don't know if I'm ending early or right on time, but, um, no, this has been great. super fun. Absolutely. Ryan, really appreciate it. Jumping on with us and sharing some of your insights and, uh, and you know how you're seeing the future it'll be really fun to watch it unfold and hopefully in most cases and uh look forward to keeping the conversations rolling awesome all Thank right you. thanks Happy holidays. bye, -bye.